Chapter Twelve, Part Two of The Hunters of the Hills. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Jeremiah Sutherland, Victoria, British Columbia. The Hunters of the Hills by Joseph A. Altschuler. Chapter Twelve: The Hunter and the Bravo, Part Two. Now Boucher felt for the first time in his life that he had met the better man. The great duellist who had ruffled it so grandly through the inns and streets of Paris looked with growing terror into the stern, accusing eyes that confronted him. But he did not always see Willet. It was the ghosts of the boy, Gaston Lafitte, of the sick man, Raoul de Bassempierre, and of the indifferent swordsman, Raymond de Neville, that guided the hunter's blade, and his forehead became cold and wet with perspiration. De Galicianaire had moved in the crowd until he stood with Robert and Tayoga. He was perhaps the only one of the honnête gens in the garden, and while he was a Frenchman, first, last, and all the time, he knew who Boucher was and what he represented, he understood the reason why Robert had been drawn into the garden, and he was willing to see the punishment of the man who was to have been the sanguinary instrument of the plot. A miracle will defeat the best of plans, he said to de Courcelles. What do you mean, de Galicionaire? asked de Courcelles, with a show of effrontery that an unknown hunter should prove himself a better swordsman than your great duelist and bravo boucher why do you call him my duelist and bravo de galicionaire i understand that you brought young lennox into the garden apparently his warm friend on the way and then when he was here stood aside you must answer for such insinuations captain de galicionaire but not to you my friend my sword will be needed in the coming war and i am not called upon to dull it now against one who was a principal in a murderous conspiracy I may be over-particular about those with whom I fight, de Courcelles, but I am what I am. You mean you will not fight me? Certainly not. A meeting would cause the reasons for it to be threshed out, and we are not so many here in Canada that those reasons would not become known to all, and you, I fancy, would not relish the spread of such knowledge. The Intendant is a powerful man, but the Marquis Duquesne is the head of our military life, and he would not be pleased to hear what one of his officers so high in rank has done here tonight all the blood left de courcelles face and he shook with anger but he knew in his heart that de galicinaire spoke the deadly truth besides the whole plan had gone horribly wrong and it had been so well laid who could have thought that a wandering hunter would appear at such a time take the whole affair into his hands and prove himself a better swordsman than boucher who was reputed not to have had his equal in france it was the one unlucky chance in a million Nay, it was worse, it was a miracle that had appeared against them, and in that de Galicionaire had told the truth. Rage and terror stabbed at his heart, rage that the plan laid so smoothly had failed, and terror for himself. No, he would not challenge de Galicionaire. You will notice, de Courcelles, said the young captain, that Boucher is approaching exhaustion. Perhaps not another man in the world could have withstood his tremendous offense so well, but the singular hunter seems to be one man in a world, at least with the sword. Now the seconds will give them a little rest before they close once more, and I think for the last time. For God's sake, de Galicienaire, cease! It's bad enough without your unholy glee. Bad enough and unholy glee, de Courcelles? Not at all. It's very well, and my pleasure is justified. I fear that villainy is not always punished as it should be, and seldom in the dramatic manner that leaps to the eye and that has the powerful force of example. Ah, a foul blow before the seconds gave the word— Boucher has gone mad, but you and I won't trouble ourselves about him, since he will soon pay for it. I think I see a change in the hunter's eye. It has grown uncommonly stern and fierce. 
he has the look of an executioner de galicionaire had read aright when the treacherous blow was dealt and turned aside barely in time willet's heart hardened if boucher lived he would live to add more victims to those who had gone before the man's whole fibre body and mind was poison nothing but poison and the murdered three whom willet had known cried upon him to take vengeance he began to press the bravo and boucher's followers were silent de galicionaire was not the only one who had marked the change in the hunter's eye you will note de courcelles said he that your man boucher has thrown his life away he's not my man de galicionaire you compel me to repeat de courcelles that your man boucher has thrown away his own life it's not well to deal a foul blow at a consummate swordsman but i suppose it's hard for a murderer to change his instincts ah what a stroke what a stroke it was so swift that i saw only a flash of light and so our friend boucher has sped and when you seek the colonel of the manor de courcelles it was you who helped to speed him de courcelles unable to bear more strode away boucher was lying upon his back and the bravo had fought his last fight willet looked down at him shook his head a little but he did not feel remorse the ghosts of the untrained boy gaston lafitte of the sick man raoul de bassempierre and of raymond de neville who had been murdered at dice guided his hand and it was they who had struck the blow robert helped him to put on the waistcoat and coat as a group of men bijot cadet and Payan at their head invaded the garden what's this what's this exclaimed bijot staring at the motionless prostrate figure with the closed eyes then de galicienelle spoke up and robert was very grateful to him it was done by mr willet as you see sir and if ever a man had justification he has it the quarrel was forced upon him and during a pause boucher struck a foul blow which had it not been for mr willet's surpassing skill would have proved mortal and would have stained the honor of all frenchmen in quebec colonel de courcelles will bear witness to the truth of all that i have said will you not de courcelles yes said de courcelles though he shook in his uniform with anger and so will count jean de mezy he too is eager to give testimony and support me in what i say is it not so de mezy yes said de mezy the purple spots in his face deepening then said the intendant i see nothing left to do but bury boucher he was but a quarrelsome fellow with none too good a record in france and keep it from the ladies at present he returned with his courtiers to the house and the dancing continued but robert felt he could not stay any longer such cynicism shocked him and paying his respects to bijot and his friends he left with tayoga and the hunter for the inn of the eagle it was a great fight said tayoga as they stood outside and breathed the cool welcome air again what hiowentho was with the bow and arrow the great bear is with the sword i don't like to take human life said the hunter and it scarcely seems to me that i've done it now i feel as if i had been an instrument in the hands of others giving to boucher the punishment deferred so long there will be no trouble about it said tayoga i read the face of bijot and no anger was there it may be that he was glad to get rid of the man boucher the assassin becomes at times a burden but willet remained silent and thoughtful i have a feeling robert he said that our mission to quebec will fail we've passed through too much and all the signs are against us as for me i'm going to get ready for war maybe the governor-general will arrive to-morrow said robert and if so we can give him our letters and go i was glad to come to quebec and i'll be equally glad to leave and we can see the lodges of the hodenosaunee again said tayoga his eyes glistening yes tayoga and glad i'll be to be once more among your great people the hunters of the hills 
It was about two o'clock in the morning when Robert went to bed, and he slept very late. Willet awoke shortly before dawn, dressed himself, and went to the window where he stood, gazing absently at the deepening sunlight on the green hills, although he saw the incidents of the heated night before far more vividly. He was a man who did not favor bloodshed, though it was a hard and stern age, and the slaying of Boucher, who would have added another to his victims, did not trouble him even the morning after. In his mind was the thought, expressed so powerfully, that the mills of God grind slowly, but they grind exceedingly small. However, his anxiety to be away from Quebec had grown with the hours. The dangers were too thick, and they also had a bad habit of increasing continually. When Robert awoke he found the hunter and Tayoga awaiting him. "'I've ordered breakfast,' said Willet, "'and it will be ready for us as soon as you dress. After that I'll have to comply with some formalities, owing to last night's affair, and then, if the Governor-General arrives this afternoon, we can deliver our letters and depart. It seems strange, Robert, that we should be here such a little while, and that both you and I should fight duels. Perhaps it will be Tayoga's turn today, and he too will have to fight.' "'Not unless Tandakora seeks me,' said the young Onondaga. "'Did you see what became of him last night, Tayoga?' asked Willet. "'I watched him all the time you and the Frenchman were fighting, "'and I watched also when we came back to the inn. "'He would willingly have thrown a tomahawk in the dark at the head of any one of us, "'but he knew I watched, and he did not dare. "'And that Ojibwe savage is another of our troubles. "'He's gone clean mad with his hate of us.' "'Their late breakfast was served by Monsieur Berrier himself, "'with much deference and some awe.' The large room also held many more guests than usual at such an hour, but most of them ate little, only an egg or a roll, perhaps, or they dallied over a cup of coffee, reserving most of their attention for Willet, whom they regarded covertly, but with extraordinary interest. The youth with him had shown himself to be a fine swordsman, as Count Jean de Mézy could testify, but the elder man, who had appeared to be a hunter, and who claimed to be one, was such a master of the weapon as had never before appeared in New France and it was said by the French officers that his equal could not be found in old France either. The interest aroused by his fame was increased by the mystery that enshrouded him, and they gave him an attention that was not at all hostile. In truth, it was strongly compounded with admiration. A man who had removed Pierre Boucher as he had done was to be regarded with respect. Boucher had given every promise of becoming a public danger in Quebec, and perhaps they owed gratitude to the hunter, Bostonnais though he was. Late in the afternoon they had word that the Malky Duquesne had come and would receive them. Again they arrayed themselves with the greatest care, and took their way to the castle of Saint-Louis. They found a man very different in appearance and manner from the intendant Bijot. Tall, austere, belonging to a race that was reckoned very noble in France, the Marquis Duquesne was not popular in New France. He had none of the geniality and easy generosity of Bijot as he spent his own money, but he had shown a military energy and foresight which the British governors to the south were far from imitating. While Canada did not love him, it respected him and his boldness, and his daring and foresight had deeply impressed the powerful Indian tribes whose friendship and alliance were so important in the coming war. The manner of the Marquis was high when he received the three in his chamber of audience, but it was not deficient in courtesy. He looked intently at each of them in turn, you come so i am told from the governor of new york he said and judging from what i have heard he has chosen messengers who are able to make a stir two days in quebec and already you have fought two duels one of them ending fatally my lord said willet gravely they were not of our seeking that also i hear they tell me too mr willet that you are an incomparable swordsman 
and it must be true or you would not have been able to defeat boucher but that matter is adjusted you will not be held here because of his death it seems that the intendant monsieur bijot himself does not wish to carry it further but the letters from the governor of new york mr lennox has them said willet robert bowed and took from an inner pocket of his waistcoat the letters he had carried through so many dangers they were contained in a small deerskin pouch and were only two in number bowing again he handed them to the governor-general who said pray be seated and excuse me for a few minutes while i read them he read slowly stopping at times to consider and when he had finished he read them over again do you and mr willet know the contents of these letters he said to robert we do replied the youth they were read to us by the governor of new york before he sealed them if we were robbed of them on the way to quebec and he knew the way was dangerous we were to continue our journey and deliver the message to you verbally their nature does credit to both the heart and head of the governor of new york he makes a personal appeal to me to use all my influence against the war seemingly at hand he says that england and france have nothing to gain by attacking each other in the american woods which are large enough to hide whole european kingdoms but he wishes the letters to be a secret with him and me and you three who have brought them you understand that robert bowed once more the second letter explains and amplifies the first contains i should say his afterthoughts as i said tis a noble act but what can i do a war may look to many men like a sudden outburst but is nearly always the result of conditions that have been a long time in the growth your hunters your traders and your surveyors pressed forward into the ohio country which is ours he looked at them as if he expected them to challenge the french claim to the ohio regions but they were wisely silent the letters do not demand an immediate reply he continued his excellency prays me to consider perhaps i shall send one later through a trusted messenger by sloop or schooner to new york and naturally i shall choose one of my own officers naturally my lord said robert we did not expect to take back the answer the marquis de ken looked at him very keenly you speak as if you were relieved at not having the errand he said perhaps there is something else on your mind which you wish to do and with which such a mission would interfere robert was silent and the marquis laughed i will not press the question because i've no right to do so he said but i will let it remain an inference then his eye rested upon tayoga at whom he looked long and searchingly and the eye of the onondaga met him with an answering gaze fixed and unfaltering captain de galicienaire has told me said the marquis that you are a young chief or coming chief of the iroquois that despite your youth you have thought much and have influence with your people how do the iroquois feel toward the french who wish them so well they do not forget that this quebec is the stadacona of one of their great warrior nations the mohawks replied tayoga the marquis started and flushed quebec is ours he said slowly after taking due thought you cannot undo what was done two centuries ago the nations of the hodenosaunee do not forget what are two centuries to them when you return to the long house in the vale of onondaga and the fifty sachems meet in council tell them onontio has only kindness in his heart for them the war clouds that hang over england and france grow many and thick and my children are brave and vigilant they know the ways of the forest they travel by day and by night and they strike hard the english are not a match for them if i should tell them what onontio tells to me they would say go back to quebec which is by right the stadacona of our great warrior nation the mohawks and say to onontio that his words are like the songs of birds but we the hodenosaunee do not forget we remember frontenac and we remember champlain the first of the white men to come among us with guns the use of which we did not know killing our warriors time makes changes tayoga and the iroquois must change too 
Tayoga was silent, but his haughty face did not relax a particle. The Marquis was about to say more upon the subject, but he had a penetrating mind, and he saw that his words would be wasted. "'We shall see what we shall see,' he said. "'My master, His Majesty King Louis, keeps his promises. Mr. Lennox, as I take it, still clinging to my inference, it will be some time before you see the Governor of New York again. But when you do see him, and if my letter has not then reached him, tell him it is coming by ship to New York. As for you and your comrades, I wish you a safe journey whithersoever you go.' An aide-de-camp will give the three of you, as you go out, passports, which will be your safe conduct until you reach the borders of Canada. Of course, I cannot speak with certainty concerning anything that will happen to you beyond that point. Mr. Willet, I am sorry that a sword such as yours is not French. Willet bowed, and so did Robert. Then the three withdrew, receiving their safe conducts as they went. At the inn they made hurried preparations for departure, deciding that they would cross at once to the south side of the St. Lawrence and travel on foot through the woods until they reached the Richelieu, where, in a secret cove, a canoe belonging to Willet lay hidden. The canoe would take them into Lake Champlain, and then they would proceed by water to the point they wished. Robert wrote a note of thanks to the Intendant for his courtesy, expressing their united regrets that the brevity of time would not permit them to pay a formal call, and as it departed in the hands of a messenger, de Galicienelle came to say farewell. It's likely, he said, that if we meet again it will be on the battlefield. I see nothing for it but a war, but if we do meet, Mr. Willet, you must promise that you will not use that sword against me. I promise, Captain de Galicienelle, said Willet, smiling, but if the war does come, and I hope it may not, it will be fought chiefly in the woods, and there will be little need for swords. And now we wish to thank you for your great kindness and help. He shook hands with them all, showing some emotion, and then left hastily. The three deferred their departure, concluding to spend the night at the inn, but before dawn the next morning they crossed the St. Lawrence and began their journey. End of chapter 12, part 2